So, so you're used to seeing just one of us up here and the other one sitting on the side and delivering a Dharma talk in this time. And wait, surprise. Three Dharma talks were the price of one. <laughs> Something like that. So what, <clears throat> what we'd like to do in this afternoon's Dharma talk slot is to offer some reflections, as we've promised, about um, going home after retreat, after this retreat, about integration, about practicing at home, and some about, yeah, maybe I'll just leave it at that. So we'll, we'll all share some reflections about that. So. So I'd like to start by um, sharing a few words about taking care of yourself, taking care of yourself after leaving a retreat. Some of you have sat many retreats, many of you not. So for those who have heard these invitations or this kind of advice in the past, you're invited to listen to it with beginner's mind. There might be some nugget in this, and yeah, you know how to go home and how to take care of yourself, but is there something here new that can support you? So listen with, with beginner's mind instead of uh, the expert's mind, because expert's mind is closed to anything new, knows it all. It's a knows-it-all mind. Let's not have a know-it-all mind. Like, okay, how can it be even more supportive this time, leaving this retreat? And for those of you who are relatively new or just new to retreat practice, please listen up. So, so the first thing is gentle in, gentle out. Gentle in, gentle out. When you came on the retreat, we invited you to be gentle, to be kind to yourself, because there was the busyness from life, from the world, and there was... The simile of driving at 120 miles an hour and you stopped, uh, took a while to settle. And now you're driving at 45 miles an hour and you're going to go into a highway of where everybody else is driving 65. Or maybe you're driving at 20 miles an hour or maybe 10, I don't know. You're very slow right now. You don't realize how slow you are. <laughs> And literally, literally, it's happened to me. I remember driving out of a retreat. I'm driving so slowly. It feels like these cars are passing by. Like, what's going on? Oh, they're driving the speed limit. <laughs> so, not just driving, but you are driving your life very slowly. So take time. Take time. Be gentle. Don't rush yourself when you leave. Leave yourself plenty of time. And if you've made lots of commitments tomorrow and Sunday and the day after that, maybe when you go back you can adjust just a little bit and give yourself space and time. Your mind is more quiet than you realize. 
you might be thinking, oh, I'm having plenty of thoughts and my mind is not quiet. Oh, you just wait. Your mind is more quiet. You're more sensitive. In fact, you're in an altered state. You are. You are. So, if you find yourself being particularly tender, you go home tomorrow and you're easily overwhelmed. Maybe you go buy grocery shopping. This actually happened to me after a long retreat. I remember I went to the grocery store and I just felt way overwhelmed by the choices. Jam. I was buying jam. Strawberry, apricot, blueberry. I don't know. It's too, just too hard. Overwhelm. Choices, decisions. So it can creep up on you. You might find yourself crying at a toothpaste commercial. You know, it's just the mind could be a little tender right now. The heart might be more open than usual. And it's okay. This is normal. After leaving your retreat, this is normal. So I am making light of it. And yet it's normal if you find yourself like, wait, what's going on? I'm strange, I'm bizarre. No, this is normal. This is what happens. We become tenderized on retreat. Our minds become very quiet. We become tenderized, more open, a lot more sensitive. So know that. Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Take time to sit. Take time to walk. Take take time to be in nature. Take time to be alone if you need. This is not a good time to make any serious life decisions. If you've been sitting here and you're just loving this life and you're thinking, okay, I'm going to go back next week, I'm going to give everything away, shave my head, become a monk or a nun for the rest of my life, give it a week or two. Just don't make any decisions right away about any aspect of your life. It's just not a good idea to make decisions right after a retreat. And you likely have messages waiting for you. You have emails, maybe hundreds of emails waiting for you. There's all this news you want to catch up on. What happened in the world this whole past week? Slow, titrate, be kind to this being who's you. So with email... Don't read it all at once. Don't. Maybe first you open it, maybe you just scan, just a little bit, you know, you just scan the subjects. And you just kind of pick what are the important ones or kind of what you need. Okay, close it, take a break, take a break. Open it again, maybe read some more headlines or the few emails. Don't do it all at once. Don't do it all at once. I've I've made this mistake before. Don't don't do as I did. It was wow, overwhelming. Not not wise. Learn from my mistake. Similarly with with the news of the world. It's okay. Things are as they are. Don't just go on a binge. BBC, CNN, what did I miss? Please don't. Just be kind to yourself. Maybe Maybe a little bit on news, but 
come back to your stability. So because you want to have your center so that you can actually do something about the news perhaps in the world, but not just be overwhelmed by it, like, oh, it's terrible. While I was sitting meditating, the world has gone to... It's, it's just the world. It's being human. Things are rising and passing. So a couple of things I want to say um, about about the social aspect. So especially if this is a new, re- if you're a new retreat practitioner, you go home and um, your family, friends want to know, how was it? How was it? Basically, all they want to know is, are you okay? Are you okay? And if you start telling them about all the details, like this happened and that happened, I was silent and this happened and I had that insight and then like their eyes are going to roll over. So, <laughs> so, so be kind to them, be kind to yourself. How was it? It was good. It was fine. It was great. Just keep it simple. For their sake, for your sake. All they want to know is that you're okay, you haven't joined a cult, you know, it's just all, it's okay. It's simple. Just keep it simple. Um, and also, it is important not to, um, to, to have wisdom about what, um, what precious insight you share or not share. So let me explain what I mean. So there are many beautiful, many challenging, and many beautiful things that happen on retreat. Yes, many beautiful, many challenging, all of those. And, and especially with, with the beautiful insights that you have, um, if you tell them to ears who are not ready to hear them, and they kind of look at you like, what? You felt universal love for yourself or for the trees, for the bugs? <laughs> you know, they look at you funny. Like you start to doubt it yourself, right? You start to doubt yourself. Like, did that really happen? Did it really, was that right? So no need. So keep, keep what is most precious in your heart so that it doesn't just become a story that you tell and you just keep telling it. After a while, it just becomes a story that you keep telling yourself and others and it loses that's, that the, the value of it for you. And yet, there are some spiritual friends who see you, on, who understand you. Maybe, maybe there are those friends in your life or not. And again, have wisdom. I'm not saying don't share anything with anyone. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying have wisdom. See what's appropriate to share, what's appropriate not to share, or share at the right time, when you are ready, when they are ready. Not, um, and definitely not proselytizing and saying, well, you should go on a retreat. Right? You know, you, like, retreat was good, open my heart, your heart is closed, you got to go on retreat, right? <laughs> So don't proselytize. What we what we say is be a Buddha. Don't talk about Buddhism. Just show up with kindness. Show up with your own kindness. And your friends, family, relatives, after seeing how you're a little different, a little perhaps more patient, less judgmental, hopefully, they're like, wow, something has shifted about 
about this person. Like, wow, they become curious. Maybe then they'll ask you, like, what did you do that whole week? Where did you go? And you can say, maybe then you can say a little more because then they're actually interested. You're having impact, value, instead of just blah, 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 blah. Okay, all right. And if you have the fear of that this feeling, this quietness or whatever it is, this opening, this, ah, the trees are beautiful, they're bunny rabbits, your heart being open or being present. Yes, it will fade. Of course it will fade. It's born of causes and conditions. The way your mind is right now, it will shift. And yet you have a different baseline than before. So retreats are this, you you're you're going 100 miles an hour, you calm down, you know, mind gets settled, you go back into the world, yeah, the mind races up again, but your baseline is a little different, your baseline of insight is different, right? Maybe the speed comes back, but you have different insights. You are taking all of this with you, because there's no other way, you have changed, you have been impacted, you cannot go back to who you were before this retreat. You just can't. It doesn't work that way. You have been changed. So no fear of losing it. Yes, it will fade. This, The feeling will fade. But your insights are there. They're a part of you. So I'm making a distinction between how you're feeling right now, and that's born of causes and conditions, and the insights, the openings you've had the way you've seen yourself differently, the patterns, etc. That is a part of you. So your retreat continues in a way. The retreat continues to work through you for days and weeks and months to come and years to come. It will continue to, to work through you. So... So I'm going to pause and invite Tanya if she would like to add any words about this transition. And then we'll share more about how to continue your practice at home. That was beautiful, Nikki. Yeah, that was great. Um, I think one of the pieces, the one thing I would add is um, that it, I know I have wanted to protect my mindfulness, my openness when I leave retreat. And so then I, you know, kind of it's like end up going like this, you know, like, no, 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 no. And, and what that does to my heart is it closes my heart, right? It's like, ah, everything tightens up inside again. Ah. So I invite you to, if you want to be weird, you, don't, you can ignore me if you don't want to be weird. But right now I want to invite you to find a posture or a gesture that feels like, looks like your heart when it's open. As open as it, it is right now or 
has been on the retreat. So, you know, you might be like this, or you might just have your hand open, or you might be like this. But for you, what is, what's a gesture that you can resonate with in your body that feels like your heart when it's, you know, more, more open? Love it. Look at this. Lots of different postures, gestures. Beautiful, beautiful. So just feel that for a minute. Just kind of memorize it. You know. You know what it feels like when your heart is open. You know. Now. Think about what your heart feels like when it's a little less open. Not a lot, not shut down. But a little, let's say, you know, you were trying to tell somebody about how amazing the retreat was. And, you know, they like yawn. (laughs) And just how does the heart feel then? And, And find a posture or a gesture that for you kind of demonstrates when the heart starts to close up a little bit, get a little bit protected. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, just feel it, memorize it, notice it. Compassion, oh yeah, right? Remember the compassion, notice it. And I won't invite you to feel your heart really shut down. I won't, I don't want you to imagine that right now. But tune in to your body. And when you don't want to drive the speed limit because it feels better to go slower and you start to feel that shoot like pressure of all the cars and you're like struggling and you're trying to protect your slowness feel the heart you'll notice that okay I guess you know like the heart's gonna clamp up either way a little bit right it's gonna it's gonna tighten up a little bit so Tune in and offer compassion and then kind of trust. If you do this with wisdom, if you do this with consciousness, okay, I guess I really should drive the speed limit. It's going to be a little bumpy, but I guess I better, and I'm right here, and I'll come back. And then kind of, you know, give it, give away a little bit of the, what you're trying to hold on to in order to sit more fully in what's happening. And then when you get where you're going, stop and pause. Notice what happened. Check in. Offer yourself some care. And just, you know, maybe ask the little heart, what does it need? What do you need right now? And you can learn to track your heart and keep coming back and tending to it. It doesn't have to always be wide open. It's okay. But what helps is to notice. 
and to not try not try too hard to shut it down because it just ends up locking up the heart. So that's my addition. So Thank you, Tanya. Maybe I'll build on that as well. That uh, sometimes the opposite, where we're talking about driving, it's funny how sometimes the opposite happens. It might be that somebody that kind of looks like this might have done something. (laughs) I sometimes would, after retreat, I had a car that the top could go down. put the top down, I'd get on the freeway, and I would drive as fast as I could. The music as loud as possible. My voice, at the top of my voice, singing. There was something about, I just wanted to, I don't know what I wanted exactly. So, I go to the store, strawberry, apricot, blueberry, jam, I'm going to get them all. (laughs) So there's this way in which we, there can be this boomerang or the opposite effect or something. Yes, this is true. <laughs> but I have also had the other thing, like, so slow and, like, wahoo, I can't believe we're going 35 miles an hour. But So just be sensitive to this. There can be the kind of the opposite after the quietness and the stillness. There can be this, I don't know, just the opposite, so... <laughs> okay. Oh, maybe I'll just say one more thing, just to draw on something that Tanya said that I've used a lot and has been really helpful for this integration. And um, I shared this with uh, some of you in the practice discussions. But there was this time I was on a long retreat, and having been on retreat for months, I then had to unexpectedly go to the doctors. It turned out to be okay, but um, so it was, you know, a big uh, kind of shock, like, okay, I guess I'm going to the doctors, and, uh, you know, somebody's driving me, and I had this idea, you know, I was experiencing a lot of, at that point in the retreat, just this beautiful settledness, and just a real beautiful kind of experience, I'm really settled, and I had this idea, I'm just going to give this away. So everybody I saw, here's some well-being for you. Here's some clarity for you. Here's some tranquility. Here's some settledness. And I just gave it away. Like literally when I saw people that were on the sidewalk or in the doctor's waiting office, the nurse, the doctor, everybody. And that was such a beautiful practice. It kind of helped me to be present and with what's happening. But it didn't uh, lose I didn't lose like the momentum of the practice, just this movement of just giving it away. Because right there's an infinite supply of this goodwill and tranquility and clarity. Right? It doesn't diminish us at all to give it away. In fact it increases it. So that's something to consider your family members, other people. Just give away any tranquility or well being or anything. So So I want to talk a little bit about practicing in daily life. Because most likely sitting motionlessly in silence for hours is not what you're going to do when you get home, right? 
So what can we do to support the momentum that's already there, but you know, to maybe bolster or support our meditation practice? And one thing is to just appreciate when the mindfulness naturally arises. It's going to arise. We have some momentum here. And it's just going to show up out of nowhere. Oh, I'm really present for this moment. And when that happens, just notice like, oh, here's mindfulness back. And maybe tune in like, yeah, it feels like I'm present. I'm inhabited my body. I'm embodied. I'm here. And just have a little bit of delight like, oh, here it is. It just happened. And having this recognition and appreciation just increases the likelihood that it will continue. And it's also maybe a continuation of this uh, theme, kind of like using some of this uplift to fuel our life, fuel our practice, or to be part of it. So just appreciating when it arises, because it does arise, it will arise after our having spent this time together practicing meditating. Something else that we can do that's like a very specific thing to do, and some of you might have heard this, it's not uncommon to talk about, but I'll mention it in case some of you haven't heard it, and to remind those of you who have heard it, is to choose some activities that you already do, and choose to do them mindfully. Or, and some of them are, could be like this short duration, something that, you, that just takes a moment. Good example, walking through doorways. Just set the intention, I'm really going to be mindful of my bodily experience when I walk through doorways. You will forget so many times, but it might be at the end of the day, like, oh, I didn't do that once. But then maybe the next day you'll remember once or twice, and then the next day maybe you'll remember three times, and slowly you'll remember more and more. And then this is just a way to build some mindfulness into your just what you're doing already. Walking through doorways, sitting down, going from one posture to the other, from standing to sitting. It's kind of tricky to go from sitting to standing because often we already have in our minds where we're going and what we're going to do. But that could be a great one. So just shifting postures or shifting locations, something like that. Some things that are a little bit longer duration can be really great also. That happens maybe just a few times a day. Brushing one's teeth. What does toothpaste really taste like? And the feeling of the toothbrush, you know, in the mouth and the temperature of the water when you're rinsing your mouth. So just for that duration of when you're brushing your teeth, just be wholly present for brushing your teeth. Washing the dishes. Something like, what is the temperature of the water again? Dish soap, how does it smell? I was going to say, how does it taste? Hopefully you're not tasting it. (laughs) Eating a meal being really present for eating a meal, taking out the trash, walking, right? We've all been doing walking meditation, so the heaviness, how does it feel? How does it smell, maybe, right? You know, these things. 
that we are already doing, but just setting the intention for these particular tasks, I'm going to be uh, attentive to them. Maybe it's helpful to write it down or put a post-it note to be a support in the beginning so that these really can be something that you incorporate into your daily life. Maybe it um, can take advantage of those activities that are kind of like largely mechanical, folding clothes, so setting the table, um, making a cup of coffee or tea, if something that you do often and kind of often has a little bit of a automatic pilot, but you just you just choose like okay when I'm doing this I'm going to be mindful of it. Maybe I'll also say that um, just notice any urgency when you're doing chores, whatever chores there are. There might sometimes be this urgency to like, okay, I just got to get through this thing so I can do whatever's next. Because it turns out so much of our life is actually doing some of these mundane things. Straightening our desk, uh, putting the dishes in the sink, putting doing the dishes, clean up, what after whatever we do, walking to the car. And so there's a way that if we feel like oh, these are mundane, I don't really need to pay attention, in fact, I think they're annoying, then we're kind of missing such a portion of our life. So notice any urgency, like, oh, I just got to get through this so I can get to the next thing. Instead, is there a way that you can bring some mindfulness to that? And that just really kind of maybe uh, increases the mindfulness in our life, but also increases the satisfaction in our life when it's no longer passing us by because I think in meditation on a retreat helps us to highlight that there's no such thing as a mindfulness moment that's wasted or that there's no value in being mindful of mundane things every moment of mindfulness is valuable makes absolutely no difference what the object or the activity that is we're being mindful of. It's the mindfulness itself. So just a recognition about that. I'm looking at the clock here so that I don't speak too long. I could go on for days about these types of things probably, but... Okay. Maybe another thing I'll say is um, while waiting... Sometimes I feel like, or it seems like, our society is so much built around the make sure that we never experience boredom, the things that we will do to avoid boredom. And boredom turns out not to be so bad. But, you know, just we don't want to wait um, if we happen to wait, we have this gizmo in our pocket often that's going to help us, you know, not be bored. But what does it feel like to maybe even feel a little bit bored at a stoplight, at the green light, or sorry, at the red light? <laughs> <laughs> what does it feel like to... Maybe there's a little, even a little bit of anxiousness in the dentist's office, the doctor's office. 
what does that feel like, you know, just in the body? What's the mind doing? What does it feel like to be irritated in the grocery store line? Just to be experienced with that. What does it feel like to feel the comfort of your favorite tea or coffee? Or while you're waiting for it to be brewed or something like this. So there are so many of these small moments that often we're busying ourselves just because we don't want to be bored. But what happens if we like start to incorporate that as part of our mindfulness practice, then this whole concept of wasted time ceases to exist. This the idea of wasted time just no longer exists. If we just feel like whatever's happening, oh, okay, I can do a little bit of mindfulness here. So we often, you know, it's, of course, it's uh, we're required, it's in our little rule book. <laughs> As Dharma teachers, we have to talk about regular sitting practice. Okay, I just said it. I don't need to say anything more. I think we all know this, the value of a regular sitting meditation practice. But one thing that I have found helpful to support that is to have a contingency plan. If I can't sit at the time that I usually do for whatever reason, then I'm going to sit at this other time. Like to have a backup plan. Because it's so easy when you miss a sitting period and then you might miss another one or another one. But if you have a contingency plan, it's a way that kind of helps support the momentum of a sitting practice. Maybe I'll say that... um, we, as Nikki was just saying, we can be sensitive when we are coming out of retreat, or maybe even if it's not just outside of a retreat. And we might feel like we're with people and there's a lot of talking going on and it just doesn't quite feel like it matches where you want to be for whatever reason. Energy level or they're saying bad things about other people and it just doesn't feel good for you. You can always excuse yourself and go to the bathroom. They don't know what you're doing in the bathroom, but maybe you are just getting collected, taking some few long, slow breaths, just changing the environment. So I just like offer this as a way, like, you know, I got to go visit the men's room. I got to go visit the ladies' room. I got to go visit the bathroom. I got to the all gender restroom, you know, whatever. You don't even need to say exactly like, you know, I just, I need to go here, excuse me. So, And then maybe the last thing I'll talk about here a little bit is um, to talk about maybe our digital life. Because what a unique opportunity this is. Having spent a whole week, having put that aside... And we're going to pick it up tomorrow. Please, if you have your devices, right, do yourself a favor. Don't pick them up tonight. So we can maybe think about, well, what do we want our relationship to be with these 
amazing, fantastic devices that we have? Can we focus our use on what is supportive and valuable? So that's just to ask yourself, is this supportive? Is this valuable? Is this app supportive and valuable? Is my relationship to this app supportive? What's really helps support the life that I want to have? There are some very talented people that work at the tech companies. Of course they are. They're, these devices are designed to keep our attention. I don't blame them. This is what they're for. But part of what we're learning here is to for us to kind of control the, our attention or rather than just handing it over to others. So just bring some mindfulness about that and the encouragement to just eliminate what isn't helpful or valuable. You can delete apps. You can reinstall them later, right? If you decide, oh, no, this is what I want to do. So also to reduce some of this digital distraction and to, I heard this uh, little phrase, get notifications from people, not products. So set it up that you're, if you're, if you're going to have notifications, have it from people you care about or relationships that are important or something like that, rather than something that's getting pushed to you from, a, from an app. So just be mindful or think about what notifications you want to get. It's astounding. There's a little statistic. This is old now. It's back in 2019. Like just how many times people pick up their phone? 63 times a day, right? This is a lot of time that we're like picking up our phones. Maybe one last thing. No, a few things I'll say about the phone (laughs) is that... um, there was, I was astounded to uh, learn about this research that was done. And this research has been repeated a number of times because the research, the, the yeah, the, um, I want to say like the clinical trial is really easy and inexpensive to do. So it has been repeated so many different ways in different places and times and stuff like this. So that is, they have... Um, like people that are going to sit down, they're either going to have a meal together or they're going to uh, just talk and pretend this is like a phone. And they put it down, face down, but it's on the table. Never touched. It's just sitting there. Nobody picks it up. For the, In this example, they don't pick it up and look at it. But the amount of distraction is so much higher. There's a way in which these devices kind of like pull us, having it just knowing it's there, not looking at it, just knowing that it's there. Because they're like, well, oh yeah, I could answer that question maybe in the phone or Yahoo, you know, there's all these, right? Because there's so many answers inside these things. But then it all of a sudden the conversations start to be coming about the answer to something as opposed to connecting or relating to somebody else or, you know, enjoying the moment or something. So just even, you know, I I was talking about what's in the phone, but actually just the phone itself, put it out of view when you want to be with other people.
meals or meetings or whatever it is. And then while I have this in my hand, I'll talk about this, that if you feel like um, maybe you're using technology a little bit more than you want to or it's like really pulled you in, sometimes, and it's not easy to do, but it can be helpful to like shift our relationship to this device, pretending this is a phone, that um, rather than than it being this portal to this amazing, you know, everything, right? So much is there, right? Instead, to transform it into like, oh yeah, this is something that has some weight. It's rectangular. It's shiny. It's smooth, right? So just to feel like the tactile sensations, it's an object. So often we're remembering what it's the portal to, so turn it back into an object sometimes. Just feel the weight in your hand and these kinds of things can be a way to do this. And then maybe um, the last thing that I'll say about maybe our digital life is, you know, there is this um, concept of digital minimalism up to you whether you want to choose whether this is something you want to do for your life I can recommend it but one thing that I appreciate about this is this encouragement to focus your time within the digital world on devices whatever device um, to focus it on a small number of carefully selected and optimized activities that support your values support your life in a way that you want to be. And here's the tricky part. And then happily miss out on everything else. Right? It's designed to really want to pull you in. So instead, just to say, you know what, actually I don't need to. So, So it's this happily miss out on everything else that might be the sticking point there, but... Just to think about that, we can. Like, oh yeah, there's more that can be known. There's endless supplies of interesting things in here. But right, that's pulling us away from maybe what might be your values or what's important for you. And maybe before I turn it over to Nikki again, I'll, I'll actually ask Tonya, if, there, if there's something from practice in daily life that uh, you'd like to say or... Oh, I only have, we only have this amount of time. Should I just, I'll turn it over to you, Nikki? Okay, there we go. So. Um, nope, I don't have anything else. I have like, I could stand up here forever, but let's. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, thank you, Diana. Such a wonderful list and, and thank you also Tanya for what you added that was lovely yeah for the feeling the the uh, the practical portion and I'll um, ride that wave of FOMO into JOMO the joy of missing out let's cultivate JOMO that is beautiful I love that the joy of missing out being right here and not Missing out, missing out on other things, but not missing out on your life. 
to be present for your life. And really, mindfulness in daily life, as Diana talked about, many ways to cultivate it, one aspect of it is being present for your life. I recently had a conversation with a friend of mine whom I've known since we were in fifth grade. And I hadn't talked to her for a few years and we're checking in. And I said, what do you think? What's What do you think about life in general? Got philosophical for a moment and, and, and she said, oh, it went by so fast. It went by so fast. I can't believe it's kids are grown, What's I can't believe it went so fast. And I said, that's interesting, because I don't, I don't have that. So why do you think you have that sense of it went so fast that you wish you could go back and do it all over again, be, be present for it? And, um, and she said, because I was always rushing to get to the next thing, always rushing to get to the next thing. And that's what happens, right? As Diana was talking about, if we're always rushing to get to the next thing, when you get to the next thing, you've missed everything that happened. You missed your life. You missed everything that happened. In the meanwhile, life happened while you were making other plans or checking your email or Facebook or distracting yourself at the doctor's office because it was too hard to wait instead of just being here. I am here. As the Buddha touches the earth, as earth be my witness, I'm here, I'm here, I'm on this earth for a limited time. I'm here on this earth today, in this moment, as we are, here right now. We're here for a limited time in this configuration. It won't last. Rising and passing, everything, our life included. couple other things I wanted to add and one is the power of intention to use the power of your intention and the power of making a vow to support you to support your practice to support whatever you want and it could be as simple as I vow to be present when I'm brushing my teeth, right? But make a vow, really connect with the intention. Make it and then reconnect with it every day. Or I commit to, say, ethical behavior in the form of I commit that today I will not tell a lie. Not even a white lie. Commit. There's so many ways to practice. There's so many beautiful practices. And if you commit to sit, as Diana was pulling out of our required <clears throat> rule book, I love the alternatives, having having a fallback. And I also want to share something that I learned from um Norman Fisher, this well-known, a well-known Zen teacher, when I was teaching with him, he shared this, and I loved it. Which was, set 
a goal that you can't fail. Set a goal for yourself that you can't fail. This is a variation of what Nor- Norman Fisher shared. So for some of you, it might work to make your intention to sit an hour a day or two hours a day. So for some of you, this works. Great. More power to you. For some of you, it's not possible. But what you can commit to is to put your tush on the cush. Just, that's it. That's your commitment. That's the commitment you're making. That maybe at this time, I'm just going to put my tush on the cushion. Okay. Like, okay, that's all I'm going to do. I'm going to sit down in my meditation cushion and I'm just going to take one breath. That's, all. that's my commitment. So you make it so low, you cannot possibly fail. Because then if you're, you know, you're busy, you're like, okay, I'm going to sit down. <laughs> done. Right? <laughs> You've done it. Right? Set it such that you cannot fail because there's a sense of trust that builds. Because when you set it for two hours and you're failing and failing, like, oh my God, ah. Oh. But you can't fail. Yes, I did. For this whole week, I've put my tush on the cush. And sometimes, some mornings or afternoons or evenings, you do that and you take one breath. Wow, that felt good. You take another one. You take another one. Maybe five minutes goes by. Maybe ten minutes go go by. Maybe 30 go by, maybe more, right? Grace. But you've fulfilled your commitment. You haven't let yourself down. That's important. Make a vow that, such that you cannot let yourself down. Make it simple. Tush on the kush. Norman had a few more things about the night before the morning, but I'm simplifying. So, <coughs> thanks, Norman. Another thing I do want to mention is um, the power of mindfulness in the body in daily life. Here, you've been invited to pay attention to your breath in the body to feel your body walking, feel your feet on the earth, mindfulness of the body, to feel your tush on the kush, to feel your body, sensations of the body. Mindfulness of the body is the foundation for mindfulness in daily life. So, many people ask, you know, how do I, how can I be mindful in meetings? How can I be mindful when I'm sending an email or I'm at work? It goes out the window. Mindfulness of the body. You're at a meeting. Ah, take a breath. Feel your feet on the floor. Feel your tush on the kush, your hands. Just for a moment. You're sending an email. Take a pause right before you send. You hit send. Just, just check in with the body. What's going on? What is going on in my body? Am I irritated? Is that note nasty because I'm irritated and I didn't even, even realize I'm angry? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Notice the body. The body is your tuning fork. It tells you so much. Mindfulness of the body. And one practice that for many people, and you might have heard it before, but actually people who, who practice this in daily life, 
it can be a game changer for them. If you do only do this and nothing else, if you do this regularly, you'll notice the difference. And I've met people that this has been their primary practice in daily life. Okay, now that I've built it up, like, what is it? Like, ta-da, what is she going to talk about? Secret teaching. Okay. The, the name of the practice is STOP. And it's an acronym. Acronym S-T-O-P stands for, and for, suppose you're walking, you're going about. S stands for stop. So you actually stop. At first, it's a physical stop. At first, you actually just stop, stop. Later, the step becomes a mental stop. You stop. S is for stop. T is take a breath. Take a breath, take a pause. Take a breath. O is for observe. What is going on, sweetheart? What is going on in this moment? What's going on internally? What's going on externally? What's going on? So really being present. O is for observe, be present. And P is proceed. S is stop. T, take a breath. O, observe. P, proceed. Very simple. Very simple. Just those pauses, those pauses. In fact, if you can have, perhaps even on this retreat, you can find a mindfulness buddy. And I've had this, um, I've had people do this for each other, and I'm sure there's an app, but anyway, for this. It's the stop app, that you get a stop texted to you. Your buddy will text you, or you text your buddy at random times in the day. It's also human connection. I think I prefer it to be human connection instead of an app. Right? You realize, oh, there's another human being who's stopping and, and stopping to text me right now to say, oh, yeah, let's be mindful together. Stop. And whenever you see it, oh, what was going on? Wow. Ooh, belly is tight. Rushing in the mind. Take a breath. Observe. Okay. All right. And you continue. And of course, there we have to mention local sanghas, online sanghas, letting your mind swim in the Dharma, books, magazines. There is the tricycle daily Dharma you get a quote every day. There's, of course, there is Dharma seed, audio Dharma, audio Dharma. You know about audio Dharma, right? Yeah, these talks will all be on Audio Dharma. You'll get information about it. And of course, I have to tell you about Happy Hour. I cannot not tell you about Happy Hour. So Happy Hour is a an online offering every weekday. It's 6 to 7 p.m. Pacific time, and it's dedicated to the practices of the heart. And Diana and I taught it for six years together. Is that about right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Tanya has subbed many times. It's, there are many, many recordings already, and it's a, it's a live sangha. People join from anywhere, from lots of places in the world, different time zones. In fact, how many people have showed, have attended at least one happy hour? I'm curious. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's all right. all right. Wow. Okay. Lots of you know about it. So that's a resource. It's free. Drop in. Participate. And last thing I two quick things I want to say. One is sign up for retreats ahead of time. Just commit way ahead of time. Just put it in your schedule. One retreat, two retreats, per three retreats, however many retreats you can per year, your, your situation allows. Do it way ahead of time so that that time is already blocked out. And you'll find a way to do it when, when it arrives. And the last thing I want to say is don't do your practice as something separate from your life. You, you live your life and doing all these things and oh, I'm going to sit on the cushion and, I'm, and I did my practice, I've done it, check. I'm going to now go do my life. Practice is your life, the way you show up, the way you show up for yourself, the way you show up for others, the way you're kind to yourself, the way you're kind to others, the way you're patient, the way you share your tranquility, your kindness, your generosity, your goodwill. All of this is your practice. And, and don't miss your life. Don't miss your life. M- miss other things. Joy of missing out on other things. But don't miss your life. Be present for your life. So let's just sit together for a little bit and be present for our life. Thank you all, from all of us, for your kind attention.